Welcome to the Sell or Die podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Gittimer. And I'm your host, Jen Gittimer. Well, in this podcast, we're going to help you attract more qualified, unbelievable, ready-to-buy clients. We're going to help you build loyal relationships. And the one thing you're hoping for, close more deals. Let's get into it. It's time to sell or die. Hello, Die Hard, and welcome to Sell or Die. I am so, so, so excited because today we have a very special guest. Jeffrey and I are joined by Honore Quarter. She's the author of more than 50 books, like closer to 60, but who's counting? She helps hundreds of professionals and entrepreneurs write, publish, launch, market their books. Oh, and let's not leave out the the most important one, monetize their books. And she's built an incredible mastermind called the Empire Builders Mastermind. She has entrepreneurs who learn from her on a monthly basis, and she's a friend. I am honored to call her a friend. So I'm so excited I'm because- to call she, her honor. She's a, her friend is your, her name is your honor. That is correct. But she's also one of the most fashionable streets in Paris, mm-hmm. and which we have frequented many times. Your family just added another E on her name. Differentiate her from the croissants and the and the uh, other pastries. The baguettes. Yeah, or the macarons. The macarons. Yeah, but the challenge, the challenge, diehard, is if you have a book within you, the challenge today is how you're going to get it out of you. Mm. What are you going to do that will give you the impetus to actually say, go from I'm going to write a book someday, which is not a day of the week. To, I'm writing my book right now. That's the message of this message. Honore, how did you get into writing in the first place? Yeah. Gee, I wonder if you know. Thank you for asking. Thank you, Jeffrey and Jen, for having me. I, it is an, my honor to call you my friends. So thank you. Um, my first book was born from going, who said, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a coach and a speaker. And I probably did a hair flip because I was in my 30s. And he said, okay, so you're a coach and a speaker. Everybody's a coach and a speaker. You must write a book. And I asked him a few more questions. He gave me a few more things to do. He didn't tell me all the things because I went home and wrote and published a book. I had someone who wasn't a professional designer design my cover. I I can read, so who needs an editor? And so at the time I was quoting people that I respected, and this is where Jeffrey Gittimer comes into the picture. So I'm living in Las Vegas. I have a friend named Robin Jay and Robin Jay says, do you know who Jeffrey Gittimer is? And I said, of course, who doesn't know who Jeffrey Gittimer is? And she said, well, he's coming to Las Vegas. So I have occasion to meet him and my books have arrived. And I'm a little proud of myself that I've written and published this, this book that now no copies exist because they've all been burned. And I hand one to Jeffrey and he's opens it up and he's reading it. I'm like, Oh, look, I quoted you in the book, which now this happens to me. So now I know how it feels. Right. So it's like reading this, he's reading this book and he's reading and reading. And he says two things to me. He says, you are a good writer honore. And I was like, Oh, yay. And then he says, and this book is shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that sounds like Jeffrey. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't make it up, right? But it's uh, it's very on brand. Sure. And what he meant was, what you meant was, it needed to have the fine polish. It needed to be professionally published. It needed to be done again. And so you gave me some direction and sent me on my way. Changed my life because I think that would have been my one and only 
horrible book that no one would have bought, no one would have read, no books would have been sold. And so I would have been an author. I would have been one of those people that I meet all the time that says, yeah, I wrote and published a book, but really didn't do anything, didn't do anything for me, didn't do anything for my brand, et cetera, et cetera. So I redid that book, new title, new cover, professional design, new size, all the things totally changed my life. And here we are. That's cool. I think though that we have diehard listeners and if you're a diehard and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm just uh, something or I'm only uh, something. When you wrote your first book, what were you doing? I was business and executive coaching and doing some corporate training. And did the book differentiate you from other people? It did. Once I did the new and improved version and burned the old uh, first version of which none exist ever anywhere on the earth now to be found. Yes, because I gave it out instead of a business card. When someone would ask me for a business card, I would say, I do have a business card, but I also have a book. Would you like one? Insert light bulb over the head. Great conversation. Oh, that's so cool. You wrote a book. And because it was well done, nobody asked me who published it. And then people would find me because someone would read my book, they would pass it on. And I actually sold 11,000 copies of my first book while I was waiting for it to arrive from the printers. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And and that really kind of set things off because the number one way people find out about a book is through personal recommendations. So because I had 11,000 little kids running around spreading knowledge, information in my name, that was really helpful in growing my business. It really did differentiate me from the coaches who said, but I'm a business coach. Yeah, but you're not an author. And it was very, very helpful. Still to this day is very helpful. I think it's interesting because there are so many, we have so many diehards who are salespeople and they may be sitting here right now thinking like, well, I'm in sales. Like, I don't need to write a book. But what you're saying is, you were in sales, you were selling your own consulting, you were selling your own coaching. And the one thing that differentiated you from everyone else was a book. And so Die Hard, if you're sitting here thinking like, oh, this this is not for me, I don't need to do that. Uh, pay closer attention. Because what Honoré is saying is you do need to do that. You would benefit and greatly you, from You need to do it in a way that addresses the topic of your field of expertise documents who it is that you are as a person and what you teach. And when you do that, you do, well, I don't want to give away my stuff. You have to give away your stuff. You have to put your stuff in writing so that other people are attracted to it and want another copy of the book. Can I get this for my brother-in-law? Can I get this for my uncle Bob? And it's unbelievable what happens as a result of that trickle down. And so if someone actually reads all the way through they go, well, I want, I need more of this. One of the things that really pisses me off to an audience when I talk to someone, they go, well, I'm just a salesperson or I'm just a sales manager, right? And you're always going to be just a, unless you decide you're going to emerge. It's time for you to emerge because the only way you're going to get there is by leveling up what your process is or who you are as a person and taking that next work step because it's work to write. I mean, you don't just, it doesn't just happen. Let's talk about what that work looks like. Most people have trouble writing just one book. How have you managed to write 50? Like are you hundred and you, you look good if you're 150 years old, like, like, yeah. Like how have you done this in this amount of time? Like, and clearly you're not that old. (laughs) 
I'm not yet 150. Thank you for noticing. I have a daily writing practice Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturday. I do two Pomodoros. I write for 25 minutes. So Pomodoro, the Pomodoro technique is a focused practice where you do something for 25 minutes. Mine is writing. So I have a a cup of coffee and a cup of tea and 25 minutes. And then the alarm goes off and I get another cup of coffee and another cup of tea. And I write for 25 more minutes. And then I have businesses to run and a dog and two cats to attend to in life and all the things. And so that's my, that's been my practice for years, years and years and years and years and years, all the years. I know, Just, that, I know that feeling. What? Yeah. But <laughs> what sure. if something um, comes up? Like, does something ever get in the way? Yes. <laughs> It's almost like, you know, Jen, um, <laughs> I would say I'm about 98% on that. I don't, wow. I, I write some Saturdays, not all Saturdays, no Sundays. I like to have a day when I can sleep until six. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes I have events, birthdays, moving my in-laws. Um, they're just life happens, <laughs> but for the most part, I'm trained. I've trained myself to get up at the same time every day. I get to the computer every day. And it's just a Pomodoro. It's just a Pomodoro among friends. That's what I tell myself, right? It's like, I'm just going to do 15 minutes if I can't do 25. And then once I get into it, and I think the minimum number of words I'll put up on the board is 200, but sometimes I'll get 1500 in an hour. But the aggregate of that, if you do the math, average a thousand words per day, 350 days a year, 300. So without weekends, let's call that 300 days a year. So 300 times a thousand is a lot. Yeah. And that's how I write. That's how I consistently write and publish books. And so if I'm a diehard right now in the audience, I'm going to go, well, what the hell do I write about? It's easy for you to do because you're a writer. So what, mm-hmm. what are the subjects that I should talk about? And, and suppose I sit down and I can't think of anything to write. Well, so you, you got a lot of questions in there, Jeffrey. I have answers though. Okay, go. Okay. <laughs> So if you want to know what to write, you write about what people are coming to you for already. So exercise number one is who are you writing to? Who you're writing to is generally your ideal customer. So your ideal customer or your client, the person that you're already serving, what are the first questions that they ask you when they sit down with you? So the first questions I get are, what do I write a book about? Who do I write my book for? How do I outline a book? How do I publish a book? How do I market a book? Those are all the questions that I get. So I just write, I would write down all the questions after I identify who exactly I'm writing to. So is it gender specific, age specific, location specific, products specific, or any of those things, right? Write down all of those questions and those so, become your talking points. Let me interrupt and say, I'm a, yeah. I am sell food. I'm a food wholesaler and right. I've been doing this for a long, long time. And I like this idea. So am I going to sit down and write about lettuce or am I going to sit down and write about salad? Okay, well, let's play this game because this is my favorite game to play. So who are you selling the food to, Jeffrey? Restaurant. Okay. And what problems do restaurants have with food? Do they need to know how much food to order? How often to have the food delivered? What type of food to source? Is there cheaper food that's even better quality? And then on the outskirts are slow service or lousy atmosphere inside the restaurant, or I can't keep good staff, those kinds of things. Right. Okay. So there's obviously when you dissect it, there's plenty to write about. Always plenty to write about. It's coming from the perspective of 
who are you serving and how are you serving them and how can you serve them in writing to differentiate yourself as the expert that they need to engage when the time comes to engage someone? You know, I think I should write a book about checking in at a, ho- at a hotel. <laughs> oh, the customer experience. I've done it thousands of times and there's something unique about each one. You know, I, we're, they give excuses and then they become defensive. And, you know, we're, we were full last night and check-in time is three o'clock. And my response is always, well, your check-in time is three o'clock, but my check-in time is now. So we, we differ in check-in times. And yeah. it's a fun story, but there's hundreds of those stories. Right. And then there's the leadership part where somebody in the back room has a huddle with their people in the morning and the manager comes out and says, look, we were full last night. We're going to get a lot of people come up to the front desk and ask us to check in early. Does anybody have any ideas about how we could piss off every single one of those people that comes in? Somebody goes, yeah, I got an idea. I got an idea, boss. Let's just tell them we're full and check in time for three o'clock. That'll piss them off. So think about what the bad parts are. And then you have to have the good parts, correct? You have to tell them what to do or how to do it. Right. Make, the, that- make it so that you're writing about the customer's ex- or the client's experience so they can have a good experience. They can have hindsight being 2020, right? So we're building a house and we used a survey company and we will never, ever, ever, ever use the name of the survey company. And I'd like to come back on sell or die and throw them under the bus when I can move into my house. Please. They're so bad. But if I throw them under the bus now, I might not get my other permits, but they're so bad. <laughs> you don't know that when you hire them the first time. You only know not to hire them the second time. So make the experience excellent for the person who's doing it for the first time. If you've never checked into a hotel, here's what you need to know. If you've never checked into our hotel, here's what you need to know. There are so many ways you can make the lives of other people easier with the knowledge that you have right at your fingertips. And people don't realize that. They think it has to be bigger or more complex. Okay. Let me get a more um, realistic picture now. Our attention span as an adult has been reduced to about a minute and a half. How long should a book be? Like this book is really cool because it's short and sweet. And everything about it is all the pages are full. There's hardly anything empty. It's easy to read. It's If you're listening on the podcast, Jeffrey's holding up a book that's in a unique size that Honoré wrote called The Best Selling Book Formula. Write a book. It's about five by eight. It's about five by eight. It's 4.2 by seven. Okay. To be exact. It's the size of a man's breast pocket. Yeah. Yeah. So how long should a book be? The answer is it depends. I get to be a lawyer right now. The answer is it depends. You want to tell people what you need to tell them. Nothing more, nothing less. This book, the best-selling book formula is 15,000 words, which is the size that allows an author to have a hundred pages, which allows for an author to have the words on the spine. So you want to have words on the spine. So when the spine's out, people know what book they're looking at. So it's a hundred pages of 4.2 by seven, including front matter and back matter with 15,000 words of content in the middle, 15,000 words of manuscript. I will tell you that my publisher, one of my crappy ones, and I don't want to mention their name because it wouldn't be fair to Wiley, but they they demand that you have at least 150 pages. And I'm like 20,000 words. That's my max. So I'll fill the book with full page quotes so that when the book is designed and someone picks it up off the shelf, it looks immediately readable. Oh, I can, I can read yes. this. As, there's a bunch of full page quotes. So it has to look readable for someone to make it buy a book, correct? Correct. 
Yes, I 100% agree. I think that there are a lot of 250 or 300 page books that are gratuitous, that there's a lot of fat in there and not a lot of meat, not a lot of, there's a book I've talked about. I won't say who the author is because I'm a huge fan of the author and it's not Jeffrey Gittimer, but he has three books in a series and two of them are awesome. And one of them I think was part of a three book deal because the third book I was seven hours of audiobook and I just kept listening faster and faster and faster because he just kept saying the same thing over and over and over again. And I thought he got a million dollars per book. And this third book, the idea was so thin, it could have been a 15,000 word book, but instead it's an 80,000 word book. And it's just that. And there are a lot of people that like it because I think they've never been introduced to this concept. And if I say what it is, everybody will know what the book is and who the author is. So I'm not going to do that. You don't want to throw anybody under the bus. What does it rhyme with? Jeffrey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying, I'm not saying because I don't know that this author really knows who I am, but if he ever did, and it's a he, so there you go, it's 50%. Um, You can guess 50% of the, of the authors out there, then he would like have this bad impression of me when I'm actually a, a big fan. But I do think that it was a third book and a three book deal. That's the only way that this third book makes sense to me because it was so fat and I felt like, who do I send my bill for seven hours to? The seven hours of my life, I can't get back. The only upside was I was walking for seven hours. <laughs> oh, my pants still fit, but that's about the only benefit. That's, that's funny. Crazy. I'm one of those people, I don't listen to books. I either read them or I, uh, I Kindle them. I do all of it. I do all of the above. So I normally get a Kindle version of a book to see if it's good. Because there are a lot of books that I think are going to be good. And then I get them and I don't like them. So then I don't want a book on my bookshelf, but if a book is good, I'll read it on Kindle because I always want to have it because I always have at least one version of a Kindle within reach at all times. So Kindle app on my phone, an actual Kindle, which is the other thing you held up a Kindle. Yeah. So check it out. That's what they look like now. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like square. Yeah. This is the one that doesn't do anything but Kindle. So it doesn't have like, it doesn't have computer it has Wi-Fi, obviously, so I can get the books. But my point is, I, when I was living in the city, which I don't live in the city now, I used to walk my dog two or three times a day for at least a half an hour. And so I was always either on the phone listening to a podcast or listening to a book, but I always kept something so that because I think, you know, part of our psychology and managing what is not always the most positive world to live in is just having a lot of good positive input. 100%. Yeah. Okay. I agree with you too. I want to talk more about writing a book. You talk about best selling versus best earning. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So everyone wants I a best one bestseller on Amazon, but they didn't make a fucking nickel. That's a book title. If, if someone is the metric wrong, like is is the metric that people care about with best selling? Is that a wrong metric? Is that just a vanity metric? Like what what should people care about? Well, so I'm, I don't want to shoot on anybody and I don't want to tell anyone that they're wrong. So I want to, I want to talk about effective versus ineffective. Yeah. From a diplomacy stand, you know, cause someday I'll be a diplomat maybe. And I would someday. like to be in Paris. So um, if anyone, if anyone cares and is listening, I would like to be a diplomat in Paris. Thank you so much. Anyway. <laughs> So I live in the world of not good, bad, right or wrong, but is it effective or ineffective? And so what I have seen in my career is that people will say, I'm a number one bestseller on Amazon. I'm a number one, I'm a number one bestselling book. But the fine print is that they did not make any money because they were a bestseller 
for an hour. So the Amazon algorithms update hourly. So someone can rank number one in a category for one hour and have a bestseller tag. So they can say number one, Amazon bestseller, but they're not number one overall on Amazon, which is what the public thinks that they're saying. I'm number one on Amazon. That's the first thing. Having third-party validation and having credibility with the general public who does not understand this is fine. I have no issue with that. We want people to, perception is reality. We want people to perceive that we're successful, that our books are successful, and that we are doing well so people will buy our books. However, when your book is a number one bestseller on Amazon in a category, that means you've sold maybe five books. It could be to your Aunt Martha. And that means you've made 35% or 70% of the list price, which means you've made no money whatsoever, especially if you've invested in producing a quality book. So I think what people- Someone says they're number one bestseller. They've made enough money to buy a sandwich. Maybe, maybe. But they're certainly, they're a best-selling book, but they're not a best earning book. What I care about is my books making money. At the end of the day, at the end of each month, Amazon and- Apple and all the places deposit money into my account. And I don't want it to be a zero. I want it to be a best earning book. I want my book to make money today, tomorrow, next week, next year, and and a decade from now. And so what I, so I've created this term best earning book because a best earning book may or may not be a best selling book, but it's a book that's going to make you money. So I want a book that's consistently selling over time not just selling for an hour. So I get a bestseller tag so I can put it on Facebook. So a bunch of people can say, oh, that's wonderful, Honoré. Congratulations. Because they're not paying my mortgage, right? With the likes and loves and all that kind of stuff. Like what pays it is the sale. And not only that, if we're going to go with what people might want to care about more is it's not book sales, it's book reads. Mm. I don't want people to buy my book and then put it on a pile of books. I want them to feel so compelled to buy it and read it as soon as possible. It needs to go right to the top of the stack and they need to be reading it right away. I want them to read it and review it because then we get into the number one way people find out about a book is through recommendation. And when you engage the algorithms, because people have bought your book and read it and reviewed it, then it gets recommended And then the cycle continues in the best possible way. So what I think people care about is money. (laughs) If they care about money, then they would care about sales and reads and reviews and recommendations and rinse and repeat. And that's what a a best earning book is, is a book that does all of that. The last page of the book be, thanks for reading this. Please recommend me. Please recommend me now on Amazon while you're thinking about it. Yeah, there's one in here like that. I think so. Would you kindly review this book right there? Yeah, that's cool. For some reason, I've just never asked people to endorse or review the book. I just had been very fortunate to get reviews. You know, I know if I publish a book, someone's going to review it just because yes. of my history. Correct. Um, but I would also say that just because you've written your book doesn't mean you shouldn't ask. Right. Well, if you don't ASK, you do not GET, generally speaking. I, it took me being an author to understand that what I wanted were honest five-star reviews. So what I needed to give Mm -hmm. were honest five-star reviews. If I don't have something nice to say, I don't say it. So if I don't, if I can't write at least a four-star for a book, I don't say anything. Yep. So if I I cannot be kind, I'm quiet. It's a good, that's a good method. I like that. I really like the distinction between best-selling and best-earning and how much more effective it is to focus on how you're going to monetize your book 
and get the word out and get people to read it than get concerned with the the validation metric. Really, I think that's that's what best selling is. Keep I mean. in mind that our, our audience is full of salespeople who yeah. vary between smart and smart ass. There's a line. And the Better than being a dumbass. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> but but the, the salesperson is going to say, well, if I'm a if I'm a best selling book book, aren't I automatically a best earning book? If I'm a best earning book, am I not automatically a best selling book? The reverse is not always true. If you're a best selling book, but only for a minute. In other words, the algorithms and the metrics update hourly. So you can be a best selling book and get the tag and it's only going to last an hour, maybe a day, maybe a week. Yes. Yeah, screenshot. All you need to do is screenshot it during that five minutes. That's what a lot of people do. They go, I'm a best-selling author on Amazon, but they're not a best-earning author because it's not selling the next hour and the next day and the next week and the next well, month. that category, whatever their category is, it could be like, you know, people with road rage that didn't get killed. That's the right. It, you could be you can be number one in the kitten leg warmer category. You can be number one in. Right. in I love I love Honore's example: kitten leg warmers versus Jeffrey's the road rage people yeah. that didn't die. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's there are sixteen thousand categories, and so the ones that are tough are business, entrepreneurship, sales, nonfiction overall, right? And so to, to be number one. And, and what I found is that people that are number one in those categories are not doing a screenshot. They are off-selling things. They are making money. They are selling services. They're not doing a screenshot for external validation because their validation comes from inside, which is a completely different conversation. But I think, yeah. Jeffrey, you, you came to be at a time when not everyone could just write and publish a book and, and we're writing and publishing a book. And so you have a, a special kind of credibility and audience that is hard one over, you know, before social media, through business journals and through writing and through consistent public speaking and through just being a kind person and signing books and all of your books are gold, right? I mean, that's just, that's just a fact. So if you're listening to this and you've read Jeffrey's books and you haven't written a review or recommendation, please do that because it's important right? Reviews are important because they're third-party validation. I think now it's harder and easier. And that's why you have to ask. I think it's harder um, for authors to get reviews because there's so much competition and it is so easy or so easy to publish. I think it's easier because you can just say to someone, can you go and review my book? Whereas before there was no Amazon, right? You Mm. had to go to the bookstore and you had to to buy the book and you had to get it out there. So in some ways it's easier and in some ways it's harder. And now there are starting to be some blocks around who can leave a review and it has to be, you know, you have to purchase the item and you have to- A verified reader, a verified purchaser, that kind of crap. Those things are are very important and they're they're weightier, right? If you've bought the book and you review it, then it's five times weightier. The rules change though regularly. They do. Um, I, I didn't join LinkedIn until 2008. That's when my fifth book came out, maybe six. And so I had already had the the Little Red Book was my benchmark book. It was my fourth book. And it was the number one bestseller on Amazon overall. It was like the number one book. And it was there for a couple of days, which made it even more valid. But I've had other number one bestsellers on Amazon overall. And then Amazon changed their algorithms that said, 
one vote, one book. If you yeah. buy 10 books, it only counts as one vote. That's right. Which is total bullshit. And when the little green book of Getting Your Way came out, I outsold Harry Potter by uh -huh. a thousand books and never made it to number one. I was number two for like a week. Yeah. Because everybody bought one book and everybody bought 10. I mean, literally it was like um, 5,000 books in a week. They knew J.K. Rowling was very poor and she needed money. They were helping. Yeah. Her. Turns out she's not a bad writer either. But the bottom line there is that you have to know the nuance of what's going to get you to that level. You have to study what happens in order to be able to understand why or why not you've made it. And that's true. And that's it always own... is changing. And so yeah. your best bet, if we downshift into book marketing talk for just a second, the best, the best viewpoint, in my opinion, to come from is that you don't necessarily, as an author who is not world famous, who doesn't have a big list, who hasn't been around for a long time, the best uh, perspective is to just say, I'm going to do something to market my book, something or something mm -hmm. to market my book continuously, purposefully, and intentionally every single day until, until you die. Die hard. What honoree means is the best way to sell your book. Yeah. So we, we try to use marketing and sales in different perspectives. People that don't know right. how to sell go into marketing, but people that know how to sell go into sales. And right, so okay. I, you're going to need clients that are, that are friendly to you. You're going yeah. to need some kind of a platform where people can go and either get an excerpt, get a chapter, get some kind of preview as to what's going on. And you're going to need to be on Amazon because they sell 10 times more books than Barnes and Noble. So, so to come at it from a different perspective, to use your book to sell your service. So let's say you're a salesperson and you serve a geographic area. Your company is geographically limited. So you're not a, um, in any other locations, you're not a franchise is what I was trying to say. English is my first language. Um, you're not a franchise. And so you're limited geographically. I did a book with a guy who he sells a service in, in an area in the Midwest Every client pays him $5,000 a month, so $60,000 a year, and he has a five-year contract, so it's $300,000 per client. So we did a book, and he's never sold his book ever to anyone. He did not care about Amazon. Right. He wrote a book to distinguish himself from the competitors in the area. He said, I don't care what you charge, because I'm going to make it back hand over <laughs> fit. And we did a book, and he prints that book in beautiful. So I have hard covers. His are a little bit smaller. So I have, this is a five and a half by eight and a half hard cover. This is a little bit smaller. So it's between this size and this size. And he gives that book out. His salespeople give that book out and they engage $300,000 business. They've, he's basically put his competitors out of business because it's all high content information. It's all Here's what you need to know. 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 And he's crushing the competition with this book that he just, he randomly found me out of the blue said, can we do a book? Can we do a good book? Can we do a good book in six months? And I said, yes, yes, yes. And yes, let's do it. One of the We're easiest sales I ever made. And he's crushing it. That's amazing. What, what distinguishes a good book for, or like a readable book, something someone wants to read and share versus... A book. Um, well, it's information that they that they want that they can't get by searching Google. So there, I I think there are three tiers of questions, and I have a book coming out in June, and I talk about the three tiers of questions. There are the questions that your customers know to ask you, 
There's the questions that your smart customers try to ask you. They don't know what they don't know, but they're trying to ask it. And then there are the questions that they don't know that they don't know because they just don't have information. They just don't have your knowledge and experience. So tier one questions are what common sense people would ask you. Then the second tier questions are like insider information. It's like, oh, I didn't even know to ask that. I didn't even know that was a thing. People say about books, generally people don't understand that keywords are actually phrases. They're keyword strings. So how to write a book is a keyword. A word sounds like it's one word, but how to write a book is several words. It's a keyword string. So that's a second level question. And then how do I launch my book to effectively engage the algorithms with an advanced reader team? That's like level three stuff, right? That's like, yeah. Super people don't know to ask that. They don't know to ask it because they've never done it. And so if you're writing a book that's going to get people to hire you, you want to include the logical questions that almost everybody would know to ask you. You want to include some of the level two stuff that clears up any mystery because sometimes what you assume is incorrect, not having inside knowledge. And then there's the inside knowledge stuff that people are gonna go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. This is pure gold. Give me this information. It's everything I put in the best-selling book formula because I was I was questioning my assumption that if somebody was, if, if Jeffrey's special, if Jeffrey just writes and publishes a book and he's magical and he doesn't have to do all the things, then why do I even try? But if what he's doing has some logic and common sense to it, and it's something I can figure out and learn, then I've got a shot. Then I too could be successful. And so you want to give people that level three information because there is no way that even if you give them five inside pieces of information, that they're going to know the 500 you didn't have room to include. As an expert, you know so much that people have no idea about That's why I was like, oh, you want to write about food things? It's like, here, I played this game all day. This is what I do for a living. I'm like, let me monetize your book for you. Here's an idea. Here's an idea. Here's an idea. Somebody showed up this past weekend and I was like, one of my clients, we did a book together. And I was like, I had two book ideas for you. And his mom was like, but aren't you having a party? (laughs) I was like, it came to me in meditation. He goes, why were you thinking about me in meditation? I'm like, I don't know. It's how my brain works. But as an expert, That's the stuff that you just pull down automatically. You just know it. It's like knowing how to have a closing conversation in in sales. How do I close this? And you go, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? It's like, it's just right there for you. And that's everyone that's listening is you have information at your fingertips that the person you're talking to would give anything for. They'd push their grandmother down a flight of stairs for inside information. Not that you'd want them to do that, obviously, but <laughs> yeah. Put pillows at the bottom obviously. of the stairs. Pillows at the bottom of the stairs. Save grandma. But we love grandma. We love grandma. But but you understand is like yeah, you yeah. know things that if you put it in writing, even if you did a pamphlet or a handout, it doesn't even need to be so big as a book. I mean, we're talking about books and I'm sure some people are thinking, I don't want to write a book. It seems like it's too much, whatever. It's about being in service to the people that you're serving. And when you care about people and you're serving them by giving them information that they can't get other places, you've got a customer for life. I'm preaching to the preacher and the preacheress here. Diehards, <laughs> um, we have an offer Honoré has a, a program that I want you to take advantage of, and it's, it's a freebie. So, um, Honoré, you have this amazing eight-day challenge. Can you tell us about it? I can. I wrote the eight-day write-your-book challenge for people who wanted to write a book 
but had no idea where to start. Like, what do I even do? And so it's eight emails, one every day. You're going to take 15 to 20 minutes or two to three minutes, depending on the day, just to do the exercise so that by the end of eight days, you've got a nice a nice basis to write a book. And honestly, it could be a book. It could be an ebook. It could be a pamphlet. It could be something that you're passing out to your best customers or you, the customers that you really want to get that's information they can't get anywhere else. Your competition sure as heck isn't giving it to them because they think the more I keep from my customers, the more they need me. When in fact, the more you give away, the more you keep. That's what Dr. Shackley said. So Dr. Shackley is the founder of Shackley Corporation, one of the first companies I worked with. And that's one of the things he said is the more you give away, the more you keep. So apply that to your writing. Oh, I love that. Okay. So in order to get the, in order to get the eight day challenge, they go to honorayquarter.com slash eight day challenge. We're going to put that in the show notes. The honorayquarter.com and then forward slash the number eight day D-A-Y challenge all spelled out all together, all smushed together. Perfect. We're going to put that in the show notes. So just click the link below, get in on there. If you have been thinking about writing a book, probably not been for a minute or a day or a week. It's no, probably you've been thinking been about for it for a, a long time. Probably said, been for a while. Someday I'm going to write a book. You're in that category, but the first chapter is probably not written. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is an easy and free way to get started on arrayquarter.com slash challenge. I'm so excited. For them to sign up. I'm going to take it as well. Ooh, go Jeffrey. I think you should write a book, Jeffrey. <laughs> well, I'm actually writing the sequel to Get Shit Done. It's called Don't Do Dumb Shit. And I have that sort of the outline for it, but I wouldn't mind learning about what, what the strategies are from other people whom I respect. Well, thank and, you. I think maybe you want to, re- I think you maybe want to retitle uh, it, Do Smart Shit. Well, actually, it's kind of a dual title. It's actually a dual title. It is Don't Do Dumb Shit, and it's it's Make Smart Money. Oh. Is the subtitle. Yeah. I didn't really want shit in the title because, you know, but he already has Get Shit Done, so this is like the sequel. Yeah. I was just going to say the brain does not hear the word don't. So if you say... To Jen, if you're going to the store, don't forget the milk. She's going to come home and look at you and say, I forgot the milk because the brain doesn't hear don't. So don't. Yeah, yeah. So what you're going to be commanding tell you, though, people to do is dumb shit. <laughs> the opening of the Funny. book, the opening of the book will have a quote. Hold my beer and watch this. That's the beginning of the dumbest shit you could possibly do in your life. It usually <laughs> ends up with a trip to the to the emergency room in a hospital. Yeah, no so good story ever starts with we had a salad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Honore, thank you so much for being here. This has been amazing. You are amazing. And okay. we are so grateful for all your knowledge and expertise and for you sharing Take it. The challenge. It, the investment is zero, and the outcome could be exactly what you've been hoping for for a long, long time. And when you take the challenge, you'll be taking it right along with me. So your challenge is to achieve. That's what this podcast is all about. It's about helping diehards like you achieve or achieve more. And I can tell you that writing is a path to wealth. It will lead you to wealth, but you have to to do it. You actually have to write something. We're going to talk to Honoré a little bit more in a future podcast and get down to the nitty gritty of what do you do? Okay, I'm I'm starting. 
now what? Yeah. Uh, because there's an awful lot that's encompassed with that. And then I'm finished. Now what? Because mm. it's not just a matter of writing the book. It's a matter of selling the book and pocketing some change. So right. been a pleasure, Jenny. Thank you. Thank um, you, Jeffrey. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to like, share. Yeah, share with both your friends. And subscribe to the podcast. And remember, we have a free 22-day sales challenge. Just go to Gutimer.com slash sales challenge to start you on your way.